welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com or send us a text message at 209-340-3115. Have an amazing rest of your day. Hey everybody, Ed Kelly here. I'm the Senior Executive Pastor of Shelter Cove Community Church. Glad that you can join us on this very, well, odd uh, sermon uh, that we're going to do here. Uh, the bottom line is, is we had to reshuffle some things due to some COVID issues and we are now entering into uh, Galatians 4, 1 to 20. Uh, it's kind of out of order from all the rest, but it does actually talk about a lot of the same things that chapter two and three were in fact talking about. Uh, today, we're going to be engaging especially the first seven verses. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn over to Galatians four and follow along with me uh, and hang with me because this is a very odd outline. Uh, it's going to be following along with a famous country song, believe it or not, country music, God's music, the way I put it, uh, has some very interesting uh, statements about faith and some of it actually emulates Pauline thought. So Galatians 4, 1 to 7, it says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we are children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, Billy Currington wrote a song a while back, it was a top number one hit, and it talks about a young man sitting down and having a beer with an old guy that they had just met. And for whatever reasons, the old guy was talkative, and for a long time, they reminisced about their lives where they'd been from, what they'd done, etc., and they became very philosophical. In the midst of this conversation in the song, uh, their conversation goes something to this effect. Uh, after a long life, this old guy blurts out this conclusion. Quote, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. Now, believe it or not, this simple statement actually reflects a lot of what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Galatians 4. Now, you got to bear with me. I promise I will, I will prove the point. He basically says three things in these 20 verses. Galatians 4, 1 to 20. He says, God is great. Why? Because of what we just read. That he has adopted you and me, man or woman, uh, as sons, daughters, into his kingdom, if you believe in him, of course. 
Secondly, he says beer is good. That's what Carrington said. Well, Paul is saying things very similar. Things like food, days, festivals in and of itself are good. Living a life where you're restricting everything in your life according to a law, well, that's not good. And more on that later. And the disclaimer is, of course, don't be dumb and drink beer to excess where you are uh, getting drunk or debauchery, as he says in Ephesians 5. But secondly, uh, or thirdly rather, uh, Currington says that people are crazy. Well, yeah, I think they are. People are fickle. We forget easily. It's that simple. And Paul's going to argue that he cannot believe that the Galatians are so fickle in reverting back to Judaism restrictions. Now, we do that sometimes, different denominations, they, they say, you, you shouldn't be, well, going to the theater. Uh, I know one church uh, directive that says women shouldn't be wearing any makeup at all. Uh, I know uh, another one that says that any kind of card playing is sinful. And of course, there's lots of them that say that any kind of alcohol beverage is, is a bad idea completely, sin, in fact. But in Galatians 4, Paul actually calls these people fools. Just like he does in chapter 3, he uses different language, but it's bottom line is going to expound the same thing of why you're going back in time to Judaism and all the laws and the restrictions of everything. Paul is going to try to convince the Galatians that they do not need legalism in order to live the Christian life. And he argues these three main points. A, he is great, God is good, if you will. Um, well, in Currington's statement, God is great because he's adopted you. B, beer is good. And obviously that's not the point of Paul, but he is saying, don't go back to all the restrictions where you restrict yourself of anything. And then people are crazy because it, uh, as, uh, what, as Wearsby that said it, uh, he, he calls this whole section, it's time to wake up and grow up. Uh, that's kind of the message Paul is going to say here in Galatians 4. Live free is the series we're in, and I take that to mean that you live in a godly manner, yet without legalism affecting your daily life. So the first point is uh, God is great. Adoption. What is that? Well, we get adopted once we are, quote, regenerated. And you can look that up on Google. Uh, regeneration in theology. You can figure that out. The bottom line is you are dead to your sin at one point and then you're regenerated into life a la John 3. We become uh, born again. That's the term that Jesus uses to Nicodemus. John 3, 3 in particular. So you put that in your notes. The word for adoption means to place a person as an adult son. Quote, that's the, the Greek uh, inference. It has to do with our standing in God's family. We're not little children. We are grown up with all the privileges of sonship or daughtership. They're using obviously a patriarchal system here. But when we come to the Lord, we are sons of God. In other words, we have the same heir, the same inheritance as it were, as Jesus himself. Now the distinction is really interesting. Children of God by faith in Christ born into his family but sons of God is different in the fact that we're placed with all the privileges and it's kind of a legal argument because 
uh, to have sonship is meaning that we have the legal rights as a son. Often the Bible uses legal language so people understand the difference of position in the kingdom versus being born again in the sense that you are a part of the family. But don't forget, it's not just being a little child. You're actually a grown up adult placed as a, a son, if you will. When you turn your life over to the Lord, you're a spiritual baby, right? First uh, Peter 2, say verse 2 and 3, something like that. You can take a look at that. First Peter 2, 2 and 3. Uh, there's no doubt that you're a spiritual baby and there's a growth pattern that's required. But when it comes to position, you know, that's practical. When it comes to position, you're fully grown son. And that's what he's saying here. In theology, it's called sonship or adoption. To put it another way, we enter God's family by regeneration, that is born again, but we enjoy God's family by adoption. And that's a big deal. So I think that Carrington's right. God is great. He's great in every sense of the word. Mainly because he allowed people like you and me to become placed as sons. And John Piper, uh, several books, but you can look this up too, John Piper, Christian Hedonism. I want to explain what that is, but I think Piper is correct as well. He rewrote in his own book, Desiring God, I think was the title of it, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, which basically says that man is to give God glory by enjoying him forever. And I think that's the way Mr. Piper wrote it. And I think he's correct in the fact that joy, hedonism, if you will, there is a certain Christian sense of that because you are placed as, as a, a person that's a joint heir with Christ. In reality, when you think about it like that, uh, frankly, life is full of joy because the creator of the world thinks that much of you and I that we can, well, we can enjoy his favor. Everything that goes with being in the family of God, all the privileges and all the responsibilities that go there, I think is a significant thing. And so from my perspective, Paul is saying God is great because he's given us this opportunity. And in reality, the opposite of that, being legalistic, uh, in my opinion, is not mature, but rather heading back into childhood. It's like you're going backward in time. It's like somebody learning his ABCs and then stepping into a great library. I was in Oxford, uh, England, uh, not too long ago, and they have the uh, largest bookstore in Europe. But it'd be like going in there and, and reciting your ABCs instead of reading all the great literature books that are on the shelf. That's what legalism is. It's like going back to ABC and saying, I got to be just right here at the base level of my life, not enjoying it necessarily either, because a lot of people who are very legalistic in their life uh, often are very unhappy. But God is great. Now, several of those phrases about God is great is shown in the, the bookstore here, the church merch area. Um, James asked me, what are my top three books one time? Uh, and I said, well, in my top three uh, is John MacArthur, Max Lucado, and a guy by the name of Geisler, and another guy by the name of Turek. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, Six Hours, One Friday, and The Gospel According to Jesus. Best books I've ever read, most impactful books. And all three of them 
show that God is great. It's that simple. Secondly, um, it seems to me that not only is God is great, but this whole idea of the sun air thing that you find in Galatians 4, 6, and 7 uh, just shows that the actions of somebody who understands that God is great, uh, they have a changed heart all the way around. And it's the difference between law and grace. Romans 8, 15, for those of you taking notes. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's just a repeat of Galatians uh, 4. Often people call Galatians uh, the minimum or the mini uh, Romans. Very fascinating. A son obeys out of love. Uh, you may avoid certain things. You may do certain things. Why? Because you love the Lord. Not because you're fearful of disappointment. That's a different thing. A servant obeys out of fear. You remember the four motivations that I mentioned probably a year ago, if you've been around the church for any length of time. There are four main biblical motivations for obedience. Number one is love itself. Every parent in the world wants their kid to obey them. Why? Because they love the parent. It's that simple. I mean, who doesn't want that? But sometimes love doesn't cover it for kids. So another uh, motivation for obedience is respect. If, if the kid cannot obey me out of love, then it certainly they can respect the office of parent and obey it out of that. And if they can't do that, then maybe the third motivation, duty, comes into play. That is what's right, what's wrong. If you teach your kids what's right, they won't depart from that. And hopefully they'll obey even though they may not love you at the time, because at least not in the emotional sense, and they don't, can't quite figure out the respect, who's in charge, but they will, in fact, out of duty of what's right and wrong, because that's been implanted in them from an early age. And then the fourth thing is the idea of fear. The Bible says it's okay to obey out of fear. It's not the best, but it'll do. It's the worst of the four. Well, a son has a future. A servant does not. 2 Corinthians 12, 14. You can look it up. Uh, a son is rich. A servant is poor. Ephesians 1, 20, uh, wait, that's not right. Ephesians 1, 7 and 2, 7 say exactly that. A servant, I mean, they're, they're poor, but the son is always uh, got whatever the father has. It's part of the Jewish culture, and that's what they're trying to say. These people want to go back to being a servant, the legalists. The one that just say, hey, everything's bad that's even near bad. Even though people abuse certain things, bad things, they just want to eliminate everything and stop everything by obeying the law. Well, um, the Jews, kind of like what they went to go back to Egypt, because they didn't like what was going on out there. Bottom line is legalism is a dead end. It's childish. It's immature. And Paul is not happy that they're reverting back to what they came out of, thinking God would love them more if they didn't do this or didn't do that. And that, my friend, is nonsense. Nonsense. That is not to say that you're not to be holy as God is holy, as Peter says. And you're supposed to literally test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, 22. 
But it is to say that just because you don't do this or you don't do that means that somehow you have uh, a better standing in God's economy is, is nonsense. So God is great. You're the one in the family and he's let you into the family. So I think the old man at the bar in Currington's song is correct. God is great. In song, he follows that truth with another truth. In his opinion, beer is good. Now hang with me, you teetotalers, those of you who don't uh, really drink anything, and I personally don't either much. Uh, most of the beer and alcohol I don't really care for. But um, beer is good in the sense that um, it's important to understand, and this is kind of where the stretch of the outline goes, is that inanimate things don't, make something uh, better in God's eyes. At the same time, as I uh, have explained this before, is that you and I are not to become slaves to the law or what certainly um, is important to other people. Uh, when I first got to Bay Area in Annapolis, uh, the church I was at for six years in, in Annapolis, one of the elders was having a birthday party for his son. And the birthday party was at a place called the World of Beer, which I'd never heard of, didn't know. 99 beers on tap, of which I'm not, again, I'm not a drinker. So the waitress came and says, hey, um, what would you like? I said, what, whatever the number one thing is you serve. And they had a, a chart that showed the number one things. And so she brought me this thing. And I, I said, I just want to surprise. I don't even want to know what it is. And it was blueberry infused lager. Folks, worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. I, I took one sip and I left it there. That was awful. But, you know, James says in 1.7, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And in, in 1 uh, uh, Samuel 16, James is saying exactly the same thing that 1 uh, Samuel 16 says. That is, gifts... Fresca, in particular, is God's gift to man. Uh, you can't hardly find it anywhere. I have to scour the world to find the stuff. Uh, grapefruit soda, love the stuff. But Paul said, basically, things are neutral, and the intent of the heart is what matters. Common grace to the unbeliever and the believer. Things on the main, things on the main, are good and amoral. How you use it is a different story, and that's why beer and other things, all sorts of things, internet, TV, you name it, driving fast, hundred other things are wrong for different reasons. It's all in the intent and how you're using it. Um, now, I don't know uh, if you know my story or not, but my father was a high functioning CEO executive type, uh, made and lost millions, but he drank like a fish. I mean, he was total alcoholic, but the drink wasn't the problem. It was how he did it. I could make this case uh, all day long. Things are good, but everything that man touches, everything man manipulates can be turned to evil. In my opinion, mankind isn't basically good. In fact, we are basically kind of self-centered. Uh, it's all about us. I mean, think about this. Is clothing bad? Well, it depends on how you use it. Is our cars bad? Well, it depends on how you use it. Are guns bad? Well, it depends on how you use it. Romans 14, Paul specifically says, 
that all food, all days are the same, but it depends about how you use it. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells uh, his, his uh, protege, Timothy, to take a little wine for uh, your stomach. In 2 Timothy, he does the same thing. Things used well are good. Jesus made water into wine. Things are neutral. Psalm 104, 14, 15. You cause the grass to grow for your livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring good forth the food from the earth and wine or strong drink, some of your versions say, to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen the man's heart. The bottom line, the Bible seems to say that things are good, but be careful how you use it. Uh, as I've told my own kids, you know, because my father, alcoholic, I, I, I don't know that it'd be a good idea for you even to touch it. You never know. I mean, some people say that one drink and you're an alcoholic. So as far as I'm concerned, it's better not to have it. But I don't think but, uh, Paul's point is that uh, things are, are bad. And that's what the Jewish people were trying to put into once grace came in to be, that the law said, you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't, be do, you shouldn't do that. And that is a mistake. Now, all of that said, I think you have to avoid temptation. So if you got a temptation towards alcohol, or for that matter, anything, skimpy clothes, breaking the speed limit every five seconds, uh, excessively especially, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, for you, you may not like certain days, certain foods, or for that matter, can't even risk taking a sip of anything, uh, then that's good. You should avoid that. But don't get into the idea that somehow that makes you a better Christian. That is a mistake. And the Bible is clear, like crystal, that drunkenness is not okay in God's economy. It's a sin. So if for some reason you find yourself someday uh, having one too many and you get yourself drunk, then I suggest you stop drinking all the way around. I think that's the, that is the purpose of that idea where he says, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, then pull it out. If your hand causes you sin, cut it off. And his point is, if you find in life's experience something is really going to be distracting to your Christian faith and holiness, then stop doing it. The whole point of that is drastic action is sometime needed. And I think alcohol is a perfect example. Uh, it's the abuse of alcohol that is sinful, not the alcohol itself. Um, and I could go on and on. Should you go to college? Well, maybe not, because there's all sorts of hedonism in a bad sense where, well, spring breaks. They're just awful. They're nothing but drunken, drunken melees. So should you not go to spring? Yeah, I think that's not a bad idea if you want to stay away from temptation. But people who have a legalistic litmus test, if you do this or you do that, you're not a good Christian. I would argue that dancing, movies, cards, on the whole, these kind of things are neutral in and of themselves. And life has goods and bads, like dancing. Dancing suggestively and seducingly, well, I think that's clearly a sin. Movies that are showing gratuitous sex or gratuitous violence towards women or children or something, I think that's off limits for, for the average person because I think it's lousy for your brain. And as I said before, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything, hold on to the good, and avoid all the evil. I think that's, I think that's legit. Like if you're going to have a, a, I don't know, what's an example now? Well, some people have poker nights with their buddies. Well, I think penny ante poker, you know, have fun if you want to. I, there's no restriction to that either. 
But if you're gambling the grocery money for your month, that's a problem. So it, those are the kind of things that, uh, cards, are they bad? Not really. Did they come from a, a, a weird place? Well, maybe, but so did Easter, the concept, the, the, the word. I don't really worry about all that, but if you're using cards to, to like read fortunes, like tarot cards or something, well, yeah, that makes sense. Are you you're using cards or you're racing for pink slips? Yeah, I think that's a bad idea. I think that would be frowned upon. But in the proper context, things are neutral. And I can show you the point, point after point after point after point. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. In other words, don't get drunk with it. He never says, don't touch wine. You follow it? First, Thessalon, uh, First Timothy 3, 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, but not addicted to much wine. He never says, don't drink wine. He just says, don't be addicted. In other words, uh, it's the idea, like money. He says in that same passage, do not be greedy for dishonest gain. It's okay to want to do more and gain money, but not for dishonest gain. It's all in the intent. But the legalism that he's talking about here in Galatians 4 says if you don't do certain subjective things, you're a better Christian. You'll be loved by God more is nonsense. These people were saying believe in Jesus, but to really please God, you must do this or observe that. And folks, that's not living free and not living in grace. We're free all right, but free to belong to someone else, namely Jesus himself, to serve them and live life the way as it's described in the Bible and as the Spirit guides you. One more time, Paul in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not go God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more. You observe, catch this, catch this. This is where Currington's right as rain. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Are you kidding me? I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. In other words, he says, he gives up. <laughs> You're worried about things rather than the heart condition. You're worried about not doing certain things and thinking that God's going to love you more when you don't really understand grace in the first place because grace says he loves you because he first loved you. So now we can love him. And it's not by works or something that we attain lest we boast. Like, you know, I, I, I don't dance. I don't, I don't, I've never touched a beer. I, I, you know, somehow that is some sort of boasting. You can look that up, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. That's chapter 2, 8 through 10, emphasis on 10. And you don't really understand what living life is about. I brought one of my uh, favorite books. I don't always agree with Mr. Ryrie. This is called Balancing the Christian Life. Charles Ryrie, R-Y-R-I-E. This was required reading in one of my undergraduate degrees. It's brilliant. And I think it's exactly what Paul is saying. Live a life free of the law, but balance it in everything. Grace is meant to live in a righteous way because you want to, not because you have to in order to be accepted. Things are neutral. Money's good, love of money is not. Wine is good, useful even. Drunkenness is not. Dogs are good, well, cats aren't. That's, that's obvious. That's a biblical principle right there. 
So Paul is basically in agreement with the first two items of Carrington's song. And the third element of the song that fits this text is people are crazy. Paul says often people are their own worst enemies. In a word, they're nuts. They don't make sense. People are often fickle. Um, they're crazy. One minute they're for this and the next they're not. Uh, these people want to be popular with the Judaizers and Paul can't believe it. He's thinking, I have labored over you for, for nothing because you don't get this living uh, grace-free life at all. Warren Wiersbe, as I said, calls this entire section, it's time to grow up. It's all about the foolish Galatians going back to legalism, back to Jewish laws, even though they believe in Jesus. In other words, Paul, Wearsby, others, they're crazy. They're going back into bondage. And what for? It'd be like coming out of Catholicism and all the sacramental system and then going back into that after you've already put your eternal uh, trust in Jesus. Well, sacraments don't save you at all. And no matter what the Pope says, why would you want to go back to sacramental living? Extreme unction, holy orders, blah, blah, blah. Why would you want to do that? Verse 12, chapter 4, Paul says this. Brothers, I entreat you. In other words, I intensely want to argue with you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of my bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So Paul had a bodily ailment. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth that legalism is dumb? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. I'm talking about the Judaizers. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. In other words, he's going back through the pain that he went through when he first explained the gospel, is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am completely perplexed about you. In other words, Paul is saying, you fool. Worst word in the scripture. What are you doing trying to impress these people who want to just bring you back to avoiding this, avoiding that, don't celebrate that, don't be around this. Where do you get off? He's impassioned. And in verse 20, 19 and 20, he makes it clear. He's about ready to start yelling. Now I know, I know everybody thinks Christians should be meek and mild and, you know, just kind of like a Buddhist. But Christianity isn't Buddhism. You are supposed to have feelings. You are supposed to have intensity. When things are wrong, you should call it out. When things are great, you should rejoice at the top of your emotion. But the one thing you can't do is trade your joy in for a whole bunch of rules. That's Paul's point. Why will you listen to someone who's just trying to tell the truth? That's Paul's point. I've been telling you the truth. And legalism is of no good purpose. Because all it does is make you feel high and mighty because you don't do this or you do do that. And he says, I don't get it. 
Now, as I said before, there is nothing wrong with being careful of what you put in your body, what you see, what you experience, but not if you think those things are essential, capital word, essential, to the Christian walk. In this case, the Judaizers, people who thought one needed to follow Jewish rules of living in order to be a true Christian, were just critical of everything. Judgmental is a word that's tossed around. They wanted the Galatians to follow their view and they really looked down on people who tried to live differently and free. Paul's trying to convince the Galatians they do not need legalism in order to live a solid Christian life. God is great. Beer is good as well as money and cars and everything else. It's just how you use it. And finally, people are crazy. They tasted the good life. Hebrews 5 and 6. You can look it up. 5.11 through 6.10. They tasted it. And they reverted back and just decided to go. It'd be, it'd be like the person who says, I want to be a Christian. Yes! And then goes and sleeps around and lives with their girlfriend and boyfriend. Wait a minute. That's not what a Christian does. Intent of the heart. You don't revert back to your old behavior. God is great. He allows us into our family. We are joint heirs of the kingdom of God. Things are good. Don't live your life in restriction in order to obtain God's better approval, but rather by moral principle and good balance, you pick and choose what you should or should not be doing and to the volume you should be doing it. And people are crazy. People will go back on their formal life when they've tasted what is good. There is no limit to how far people will go in order to lose their joy. And I am here to say, Piper, John Piper is right. We should be Christian hedonists, giving God glory by enjoying God forever. I hope this all makes sense. And as any good speaker does, I hope it makes you think. Do your own study. Come up with your own conclusion. Take a look really closely to Galatians 4 and see if you have any changes in your world or your thinking that needs to take place. Take care. God bless. Have a great rest.